good morning, Orchard. Great to see you guys this morning. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning one more time and turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to wrap up the book of Ruth this morning in our series called Redeemer because our God can turn anything around. As you're finding your way to the book of Ruth, uh, turn to chapter 4 this morning, the last chapter of Ruth, verse 1. As you're doing that, let me ask you a question by a show of hands. How many of you guys have ever sold something or given something away at some point in your life that you give anything to have it back now? You know, a little later, like you'd like to buy it back, get it back. Yeah, I was thinking about this, like what are some things, especially from my childhood, that I would give anything to be able to go back? and buy those, find those. We probably sold them in a garage sale or something. How many of y'all had some of these? Hot Wheels. I mean, Hot Wheels. Man, I'm telling you, when I was a kid, I owned every Hot Hot Wheel known to man. And some of them are worth a lot of money today. You know, you see them on eBay and I'm like, man, I had that one. I had that one. I wish I could go buy that back. Uh, Here's another one. G.I. Joe. Anybody have G.I. Joe's? You know, I love G.I. Joe. I had a bunch of G.I. Joe's. I had all the equipment and the clothes and all that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I grew up uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm pretty sure that I buried some of my G.I. Joe's in my backyard. So one of these days, I'm going to go back to Tulsa. I'm going to sneak in. I don't know who owns the house now, but I'm going to sneak in the backyard, and I'm going to dig them up. And so I, I can get them back that way. And then here's one of my favorite items as a kid growing up. The Hot Wheel. Who had a Hot Wheel? Man, I tell you, I was the fastest kid on the block in that Hot Wheel, or uh, in the big wheel. And I'd get in that thing, and I'd pedal really fast. I'd come around the corner, you know, do the three. I loved my big wheel. I I mean, I ran the wheels off that thing. I wish I could get that back, my my big wheel. And now this one is sentimental to me, this next one here. Um, This is a picture of an antique clock. It's not the exact clock, but it's one like the one I wish I could get back. Um, I used to go to my grandma and grandpa house and they had an antique clock very much like this one that sat on the mantle. And so, you know, you, you have memories of, of going and staying the night at grandma and grandpa's house and, you know, how things looked at the house and pictures in the house and the smell of grandma and grandpa's house, the food she would cook. But I remember this, the sound of my grandparents' house because this clock was sitting on the mantle and it was one of those clocks, you know, and you could hear it. And so at night, when I would lay down to go to sleep, I'd go to sleep with that clock ticking in the background. And then on the hour, you know, it bong, bong, and do that every hour. And I, as a kid, I remember I was mesmerized by this clock. I loved this clock. And I talked to my grandparents and I said, you know, one day I'd like to have this clock because it had been in the family for like a hundred years. I think it was like my, my grandmother's grandmother's clock or something like that. And my grandmother said that I could have the clock. Well, my grandmother passed away somewhat suddenly. Someone came in, sold off most of the stuff in the house and this clock was sold. So if you see a clock like this anywhere, let me know because it might be the one I'm looking for. I'd, I'd give anything to go back and, and buy that back, to redeem that clock, to have that again at back in our family. And you know, I I say all this because this is what the story of Ruth is really all about. It's about a family in chapter one that seemingly lost just about everything. And they wanted to have it back. They wanted to get some things back that they had lost. They wanted them to be saved. They wanted them to be rescued. They wanted them to be redeemed. And aren't you thankful that we have a God of redemption? Amen? That we have a God of redemption and rescue and salvation. And that's what this story is reminding us of as we close out the book of Ruth today. That our God can turn anything around. He can redeem. He can bring things back to us. If you haven't been here, let me just kind of catch you up real quick. You can watch any of these messages online. But in chapter 1, we open this story up with trials. We open this story up with tragedy. As the family, the, the husband dies, the two sons die. Because instead of running to God, they ran from God. 
God. It leaves three ladies as widows, uh, a mother-in-law, Naomi, her daughter-in-law's Ruth and Orpah. We ended chapter one in tragedy. We go to chapter two and things begin to turn around as Ruth and Naomi are now back in their homeland of Bethlehem, at least Naomi's land. Ruth goes back there with her. She gets up one day, takes a step of faith. She finds herself gleaning in the field of a wealthy bachelor named Boaz, and he's very gracious to her. They find out he's a close relative of the family. He could be a family redeemer who could buy the land and property back, who could rescue them, who could save their family from their hopelessness and despair that they were going through. And then we went into chapter three last week, and the turnaround turned to a twist because we remember as Naomi played matchmaker and she told Ruth to go and present herself to Boaz, see if he would be her redeemer, see if he would marry her. He was certainly willing to, he wanted to, but we learned last Last week, the twist in the story, like any good story, there's another man in the story, another man, a closer family relative that had first right of refusal to redeem Ruth. And so as we go into chapter four today, we're going to find out who is going to redeem Ruth and her family. Is it going to be Boaz, our our wealthy bachelor in the story that we've, we've grown to love, or is it going to be the other man who has first choice? Are you guys interested in finding out how this turns out? Now, I know some of you cheated and you read chapter four, okay? I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but, but let's look at it in detail today as we go into chapter four and we find out who is going to redeem Ruth. But before we do that, let me just remind you once again that this is not just the redemption story, the romance story, the love story, and salvation story of Ruth and Boaz. This is a picture of our story. It's a picture of our love story with our Boaz, Jesus Christ. We're a picture of Ruth in the story and and the way that he, uh, Boaz has, our Jesus has rescued us and he saved us and he has redeemed us. And so there's a beautiful picture. This is our story in this story. And so as we close out chapter four, we're going to see three key people in this story that are three pictures of our redemption story, of our rescue and our salvation story. We're going to look at a bridegroom, a bride, and a baby. So you guys ready? I hope you'll take some notes on the back of your newsletter. Let's jump in to chapter four. The first uh, key person we see as we close out this redemption story today is the bridegroom, the bridegroom, the redeemer. Who is going to redeem Ruth, Boaz or the other man? Let's pick it up in, Revel- in uh, Ruth chapter four, verse one. It says, Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. Now the town gate was like the court of law in, in those days. That's where they would hold court. That's where they would have uh, legal proceedings. And so he he had told Ruth as we ended chapter three, I would like to redeem you, but I first got to check with this other man, this closer family redeemer and see what he's going to do. So he's going to hold this legal proceeding at the town gate. Just then the family redeemer, this other man we were introduced to last week, he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here, man, and sit down, my friend, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as what? Witnesses to this legal proceeding. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab, she's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. She probably had to sell the land because they were widows, they were poor, they were destitute. It was the only way that they were going to have any way of living and be able to eat was to sell the land unless a redeemer would be willing to buy it back and keep it in the family. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish, because he's got first opportunity. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to what, church? To redeem it after you. So now, here's the choice. We're gonna find out. 
Is Boaz going to redeem Ruth or is the other man going to redeem Ruth? And the man, the other man replied, all right, let's say it together, I'll redeem it. This is another oh crap moment. Just like last week. Listen, one of our values at Orchard Church is we keep it real. I'm going to keep it real in this story. And it's like, what? We, we went to Boaz the Redeemer. You know, he's the hero. He's the savior in this story. And now this other man is going to be a wedding crasher, and he's going to mess this whole thing up, and he says, I'm going to redeem it. But not so fast. Boaz is very wise, as, we, as we've seen throughout this story. He's very smart. We have no evidence that Ruth is here when this is happening. She's back with her mother-in-law, Naomi. This guy maybe has never seen Ruth, uh, maybe doesn't really know much about Ruth. And remember I told you last week, if you're the family redeemer and you buy the land and property, the wife also comes with it if there's a widow. So it's buy the land and property, get a wife for free, okay? So this guy right now, he's only focused on the land and property. Then the man replied, okay, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, well, not so fast. Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And I, I'm just kind of reading between the lines here, but I can only imagine that Boaz, because we know Boaz loves Ruth, and he's already said he wants to redeem Ruth, but he's got to give this guy first opportunity. I, I can almost imagine he's like, well, you can buy the land and property, but you also have to take Ruth, the Moabite the Gentile, the cursed one from the heathen land that worships false gods. She is not a looker, dude, man. I'm just telling you. you I just don't know that you really, you know. I, I just imagine you because he doesn't really want this to happen. And he says, you got to marry Ruth as well. And then verse 6, then he says, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do it. Woo! Yay! It's okay if you guys get excited, okay? This is a fun story. That means Boaz gets to redeem Ruth because this guy says, I can't do it. Now, in those days, now there's this weird custom that happens right here. I don't have time to go into all the detail, but I'll read it to you and explain a little bit. Now, in those days, because they've got to make this transaction legal and binding. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal, his shoe, and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer, the other man, drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, I can't do it, you buy the land. Because when someone would take land and property, they would walk around the property. They didn't do surveys and stuff. They would walk around it and they would claim it. And so the shoe was like a sign of the contract. Instead of a piece of paper, he would get the shoe. And that was making this legal and binding. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, those that are watching this uh, transaction take place, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those are the three men that died in chapter one. And with the land, I have acquired who, church? Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So the redemption has taken place. Ruth desperately needed a redeemer in the story, a savior, a hero, and Boaz steps up and says, I'll be the guy, I'll do it. He becomes the bridegroom in this story. Boaz is the bridegroom as he redeems Ruth and this family. The word redeem, you have this in, in your notes, it means to buy back 
or to rescue, to set free. And that's what he's doing for Ruth and Naomi. He's buying back the land. He's rescuing them. He's setting them free. And what a beautiful picture of what our Boaz Jesus Christ has done for us spiritually. Amen? As he has bought us back out of our sin, brought us to God, he has saved us, he has rescued us. Because up until this point, again, Ruth and and Naomi, they are poor, destitute widows. They are bankrupt. They are helpless. They are hopeless. They are unable to redeem themselves. And that's spiritually a picture of how we were before we put our faith and trust in our Boaz, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us before we came to faith in Christ, to our Boaz, our Redeemer, we were without God and we were without hope in this world. No matter how good we thought we had it, spiritually, we were without God, we were without hope, we were under the curse of our sin, and there was no way for us to redeem ourselves. But are you thankful, Orchard Church, that our Boaz, Jesus Christ, showed up on the scene to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, to be our Rescuer? That's what this beautiful picture and story is all about. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says that our Boaz, Jesus, has redeemed us to God, brought us back to our God by His blood. His blood, our blood couldn't save us because our blood is tainted because of our sin. But his blood is righteous. His blood is perfect. And he paid for our salvation and our redemption. Now, it's interesting in this story. Don't miss this beautiful picture why God put this story in the Bible. It's a picture of our story, our love story, our salvation, our redemption story. There were specific criteria in the law that had to be met in order for someone to be a redeemer. Not just anybody could redeem. There were specific criteria. Let me give you three of them that are in your notes and check out this beautiful picture of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Number one, in order to redeem, you had to be a close relative in order to redeem. Remember we saw this in chapter two that they found out that Boaz is a family member. He's a close relative. He was qualified to redeem Ruth. Jesus Christ became one of our close relatives in order to redeem us. Because the Bible says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. In chapter, in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father. His name is Jesus Our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer became one of us. He took off his shoes, if you will. He stepped out of heaven and stepped down to this earth. And he became not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. He was able to redeem us because he's one of our close relatives. The the God-man, Jesus Christ. Not only did he have to be a close relative to be able to redeem, but a Redeemer had to be able, able to redeem. In order to redeem, he had to be able to redeem. And we know in this story that Boaz was able to redeem Ruth because he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of money, had the means and the opportunity. He was able to redeem because of his finances. And Jesus Christ, our Boaz, is able to redeem us because of his blood that he shed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, Knowing that you are not, say it, church, redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. We can't buy our redemption. We can't purchase our redemption. We can't work to pay for our redemption. How were we redeemed? With the precious, say it church, blood of Christ. Are you thankful for the blood of Christ that was shed for us to redeem our sins? To redeem us, to buy us back, to save us. Listen, this is good stuff, y'all. I may not have as many jokes this week, but this is better. This is good stuff. I, now, I, know, I want you guys to be as excited about the redemption story in Ruth as you are going to be today when the Broncos go 5-0. and Okay? Because that's a game that will be long gone in days ahead, but this will last for all eternity, what we're talking about. 
This is an eternal redemption story that is going to benefit all of us forever. Don't miss this. That Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Boaz, was able to redeem us because he shed his blood. The only thing that could redeem us. It's interesting to me that 98% of all the religions of the world will tell you, if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be redeemed and go to heaven, then here's the list of do's and don'ts. And it's a works-based salvation. But the Bible has clearly told us over and over, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's not anything we can do. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast about it. Our Boaz, Jesus Christ, was able to redeem us because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is not our works that save us. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, our Boaz. He became our redeemer. The redeemer had to be a re- close relative in order to redeem. The, the redeemer had to be able to redeem. And then number three, the redeemer had to be willing to redeem. He had to be willing. Boaz did not have to redeem Ruth, but he chose to redeem Ruth because he wanted to redeem Ruth because he fell in love with Ruth. And what a beautiful picture of our Boaz, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to redeem us. He didn't have to die for us. He didn't have to be crucified for us, but he did it because he was willing because he loves us. He's our redeemer the same way Boaz was Ruth's redeemer because he loves us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He was willing to redeem us. You see, our redemption cost us nothing, but it cost our Lord and Savior Jesus everything. And he's willing to do it and was willing to do it because of his great love for us. What a beautiful picture this story is of our redemption of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Boaz. And I don't want you to miss this. There are are gold nuggets throughout this entire story. Uh, Somebody was saying after first service meeting, I can't believe we covered the book of Ruth in four weeks. We could have spent four months all the nuggets of gold that are in in this book. And I don't want you to miss this. In in chapter four, verses one and two, did you notice whenever they were having the legal transaction of redemption, when it was finalized, you had five times people sitting down in order to fulfill this redemption transaction. It says Boaz went to the gate and he sat down. He had the other man sit down. He called 10 witnesses and he said, sit down. In order to complete this redemption transaction, you have all these people sitting down. Can I remind all of you that our Lord and Savior, our Boaz, Jesus Christ, after he was crucified, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for three days. He rose from the dead. He was on the earth for 40 days. He showed himself to over 400 people. He ascended back to heaven. And when he got to heaven, you know what he did, y'all? The Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father because our redemption transaction was complete. That is good stuff, y'all. That is good stuff. I love this story. I love this story. Boaz, in this story, met all the criteria to be the redeemer for Ruth, to be the bridegroom. And our Boaz, Jesus Christ, has fulfilled and met all the criteria to redeem us as well. So that's the bridegroom. Picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Boaz. But if you're going to have a bridegroom, you also got to have what? you got to have a bride. So let's look at the bride in this story as we pick up the bride in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman. Which woman? Remember, ladies? Give me one of those really nice high ones, ladies. 
Oh, I love that. I love it. You do it better than the guys. May, may make this woman Ruth who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. They had the children that made up the, the tribes of Israel. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And we know that they are famous because here we are 2,500 years later and we're talking about this story here at Orchard Church. This famous story. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So, verse 13. So Boaz took... Let's give you one more try, ladies. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his what? There's our, there's our wife. There's our bride. She became his wife. Now... It's easy for us to get to verse 13 and go, so Boaz took Ruth in his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, blah, 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 and just go on and just run right past that. But there is a gold nugget here I do not want you to miss in verse 13. This is good stuff. Some of y'all are trying to figure it out right now. Let, let me help you out with this. I don't want you just to blaze past this and go, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and they lived happily ever after. And the redemption story is done. Let, let's read it slowly. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. Y'all, some of y'all are like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Let me remind you that in almost every instance up until this point, anytime you read the name of Ruth, it said, and Ruth the Moabite. And Ruth from Moab, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, the Gentile, the cursed one that used to serve a false god. But now you get to chapter 4 and it says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. What is this a picture of? It's no, the Moab is gone. The, the, the Gentile is gone. The false god is gone. The heathen land is gone. It just says he took Ruth into his home and she became his wife well god probably forgot to say moabite there god doesn't forget y'all there's a reason it's missing it's a picture her past her old life her heathen life her false god life her separated from the god of israel and god's people is gone she's a new person she has a new life she has a fresh start she's no longer ruth the moabite she's ruth the bride of boaz isn't that beautiful a complete turnaround has happened in this story. And let me remind all of us, let me remind you that when we meet our Boaz, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, everything changes. It's a complete turnaround. He removes the old life, the past life, the sinful life, the separated from God, the hopeless and helpless life, and he gives us a new life, and he makes us a new person, and he gives us a fresh start, and we are now known as the bride of Christ. And he is the bridegroom. Let me remind you of what it, what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We love to quote this about the new life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone, everybody say anyone. anyone. I meet people all the time and they say, you know, God couldn't save me. God couldn't forgive me. God couldn't love me. I've done too much wrong. Listen, Ruth was a cursed Gentile from a heathen land who worshiped a false God and God turned everything around. Nobody is beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
No matter what you've done, that ought to be great news to all of us today. And it says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, who finds Jesus as their Boaz, has become, say it church, a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun because our God can turn anything around and our God can turn your life around. I love this story. I love this story. So in this redemption story, we've seen the bridegroom, Boaz, a picture of Jesus Christ. We've seen the bride, Ruth, a picture of us and our salvation. But then there's one more key person I don't want you to miss, and that is the baby. There's a baby in this story. Now, some of y'all are freaking out right now because you're like, okay, I, I like that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm his bride, but I'm done having babies, okay? I've uh, been there, done that, you know, I, I, but there's a, there's a spiritual picture in this baby that I don't want you to miss as well. Let's, let's read about this baby that is born because of this marriage between Ruth and Boaz. Pick it up in the middle of verse 13. When he slept with her, his wife, Ruth, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided, say at church, a redeemer for your family. I mean, there's an exclamation point here. This is the, the culmination of the turnaround in this entire story. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him what? Obed. There's a baby that is born. And I want to talk just briefly about the blessing of this baby Obed. First of all, think about the blessing of Obed to this family. I mean, Boaz, we know, was an older man, probably thought he wasn't going to be married again, probably thought he wasn't going to have any children again if he had any before, and now he's got a baby in his old age. You take Ruth in this story, who was a widow, didn't know if she'd ever be married again, if she'd ever have a child. It's a complete turnaround, the blessing of this baby to Ruth and to Boaz in this story. It reminds us of the blessing that children are. How many of y'all are parents? How many are, and, and what a blessing our kids are. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says this, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Amen, parents? Now, now I, I know most days we would agree with that verse, right? Most days. Okay, maybe not all the days, but most days we would agree that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. They are a blessing, but just keeping it real. When my children were very young and they were toddlers and they were in diapers, I mean, a 10-pound poop machine just didn't bless me that much. I was glad they got out of those diapers. I'm glad they grew up a little bit. There were times when my children were very young that I understand why some animals eat their young. Just keeping it real. Come on, any parents with me? Come on now. Don't be polishing your halos right now. But, 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 but they truly are a, a blessing. They're a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from Him. And now that I feel like I blinked, and my children are 19 and 21. What? What? Where did the years go? This is a little slideshow that my daughter, um, she turned 19 a couple of weeks ago, and a week later, um, her brother turned 21. They're two years and one week apart. And she put this together. She grabbed a bunch of pictures out of the albums, and she took these, and she put this little video together, and she sent it to her brother who's in college, eight and a half hours away. It was the first time in 21 years we weren't able to spend his birthday with us. 
Now, he was turning 21, so I think maybe he was happy about that. I'm not real sure. I was like checking with him every hour. How's it going? But, you know, I I read a statement not long ago, and I share this with young families and parents all the time when, man, things can be tough and difficult raising those young babies. And it said this, when your children are little, the days are long, but the years are short. Isn't that true? The days are long, but the years are short. And what a blessing our kids are to us. What a blessing that this child, Obed, would have been to that family. But let's take it a step further. What's the spiritual picture for us here? Who's this baby a picture of for us spiritually in this story, just like Boaz and Ruth are a picture for us? I want to talk to you for a moment about the blessing, not only of physical children, but of spiritual babies, spiritual children. I know some of you may be finished having physical children, but I hope you'll never be finished having spiritual children and spiritual babies. Because when God saved you, when you got married to your Boaz, Jesus Christ, he intended for you to be fruitful and multiply, not only physically, but spiritually. That we don't keep our salvation and our faith to ourselves, but we're willing to share it with our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, because other people need to know Jesus. Amen? I mean, our mission here at Orchard Church is simply this, to help people find and follow Jesus. And that shouldn't just be our mission corporately, that should be our mission individually. As we're bringing people to Christ, as we're seeing them meet Boaz, as they're saved, and when we have a part in someone else's salvation and their new birth, their their rebirth, then they're our spiritual babies. And we don't want to leave our spiritual babies without spiritual parents. That's why this church was founded 11 years ago, and we've never left it, on making disciples. And making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's spiritual parenting, bringing people to Christ and helping them grow up in their faith so they can bring other people to Christ. We want to keep being fruitful and multiplying. Amen, Orchard Church? We got over 55,000 people within a five-mile radius of Prairie View High School and where our building's going to be next door that claim no church affiliation, that don't know many of them to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We want to see them born again. We want to see them brought in to the kingdom of God. Listen, next week, we're going to take one Sunday and we're going to talk about discipleship and what it means because it's our prayer and our goal and our vision and our hope that everyone at Orchard Church is involved in the disciple-making process at all times. Either you're being discipled and growing in your faith or you're discipling someone else because the famous last words of Jesus were this, go and make disciples. Disciples. And we want his last command to be our first concern. Don't go sleeping on me now. You say, well, that's hard. That's not easy. Right. But it's obedient. And it's the way we advance the kingdom. And not only do we want to see people born again individually, but we want to see people brought to Jesus by planting other churches. This church was founded on multiplication by exponentially planting other churches, by planting churches that plant churches that plant churches, because I just spent a week in California at a, a conference called Exponential, and there were 3,000 pastors and churches from all, America, all over America that gathered there to talk about churches that plant churches that plant churches, because we understand this, that the most effective means of evangelism in America today is planting new churches. Churches that are 10 years of age or younger are 400% more evangelistically effective in reaching people for Christ than those 10 years and older, and we just turned 11. 
That means if we want to continue to be effective, it's not just getting as big as we can get and be some mega church. It's planting churches that plant churches. The best way we can help people find and follow Jesus is to multiply disciple-making churches. That's our vision here at Orchard Church. And let me just tell you all this. Some of y'all don't have any idea and realize God is just getting started with Orchard Church. I mean, things are just getting fun and just getting exciting. I'm excited about this building we're building next door, but maybe for different reasons than what some of you realize. I'm excited that we're going to have a building to establish this church and this community. But let me tell you what keeps me up at night. Let me tell you what I think about. Let me tell you what I pray about. Let me tell you what I dream about. That building next door, this church, Orchard Church, that building is going to be an incubator for baby churches that we're going to be sending out all around Colorado and the world. That's what it's going to be. It's a home base. It's a home base. And I don't, people ask, well, how many seats are going to be in the new auditorium? It's going to be double what we have here. But, but, but no, 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 we're missing the picture. I don't want Orchard Church to be known for its seating capacity. I want Orchard Church to be known for its sending capacity as we plant churches that plant churches to help more people find and follow Jesus. That's the blessing of spiritual babies and birthing other churches. And that's what we're all about. And I think that's what's a picture here, that we keep doing that and we keep doing that. And then finally, there's the blessing of Obed to God's family. To all of us today, don't miss this. In verse 17, as we wrap this up, it says in verse 17, and they named him Obed. Now watch this. Who was this Obed? He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of, say it, church, David, and then you can read the rest of the genealogy. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. David, which David? That David. King David. The king of Israel, David. David and Goliath, David. It's that David. If, if this story had not happened, we wouldn't have a redemption story. You see, without this story of redemption between Ruth and Boaz and them having a child named Obad... We, we would not have the Christmas story. We would not be celebrating Christmas in a couple of months. We would not have another Bethlehem story about Jesus in a manger. We wouldn't have the story of the shepherds because this story put this family in the line of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You go to Matthew chapter 1 and it starts with King David and it goes 28 generations and it takes you from David to Jesus himself. Remember, one of the titles for Jesus was Son of David. And this family becomes part of the Messianic line. Ruth, in the story, who was once a cursed Gentile from the heathen enemies of God land of Moab, is now in the line of the Messiah she is now the great-grandmother of King David. You talk about a story of redemption. You talk about God having a sovereign purpose. You talk about an eternal plan. You talk about a complete turnaround. And as you look at this story, everything in four short chapters is completely turned around because of the sovereignty of God, because of his redemption plan. We've gone from a funeral in chapter one to a wedding in chapter four. We've gone from the death of two sons in chapter 1 to the birth of a son in chapter 4. We've gone from heartache to healing. We've gone from trial to triumph. We've gone from sorrow to celebration, reminding us once again that we truly do have a Redeemer, a God who can turn anything around and He can turn your life around as well. And maybe some of you this morning, you can so relate to this story. Maybe you've been here for four weeks or maybe just today. 
But listen, as we wrap this up, for some of you today, you're in chapter one of Ruth. That's where your life is. You're facing challenges, you're facing trials, you're facing difficulties. Maybe you've even faced a tragedy. And God wants to say to you, hang on. Hold out. Don't run from God, run to God. Do what Ruth did. Put your faith and trust in your Redeemer. Allow, listen, allow God to write the final chapter of your story. Allow God to write the final chapter of your life. You may be in chapter one now, but God's going to turn things around and he's going to get you to chapter four eventually. And I know this story is 2,500 years old and some of you all be like, you know, this is 2,500 years old. Is God still turning lives around like that in such a drastic way today? Well, let's see. I'd gotten um, progressively, um, you know, with my addiction to alcohol, I'd gotten progressively, um, you know, less social about it and more dependent on it. I literally felt uh, terrible unless I was drunk. I was just totally uh, empty. I was uh, spiritually, emotionally, I was dead, basically. Um, and uh, physically, I was almost there. Uh, basically, was trying to live life my way. Definitely have my Christian faith. We went to church while I was an alcoholic and um, I just uh, didn't have a relationship with God. Life was spinning out of control. Uh, I constantly worried about my boss looking over my shoulder, my job, um, life at home. Never never physically abusive, but certainly emotionally abusive to my wife and my then two-year-old daughter. Thank God that uh, I have a very godly wife um, that hung in there with me um, and prayed for me and uh, basically uh, stood by me even in the worst of times. If my health wouldn't have taken me, certainly a DUI or something like that would have taken me. I, I would not be here today if I had not gotten sober. So I know that for a fact. I really believe that if there wasn't a turnaround um, that I was going to die in 6 to 12 months. So uh, September 27th, uh, 2011 uh, was my sober date. So I've been sober uh, for five years. It was real sudden. I mean, it, it probably wasn't sudden at all, but it felt like it was. I went from, you know, not even thinking it was an option and just drinking every day. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, one evening a, a set of events transpired and uh, the next day I went to my first AA meeting and I've never had to drink alcohol ever again. Life now is totally different uh, from what it was, um, both uh, in the personal sense, in the professional sense, in the spiritual sense, certainly. Um, everything is totally different. I was able to take a leap of faith and become self-employed as a real estate broker and that's something I would have never done, ever, um, uh, had I still been drinking. Family life is certainly much different. Um, you know, we still have our, our struggles like any family does and, and our little tiffs and, and fights and things like that, but um, it's, we get over those things, right? We talk about them and we get over them, uh, where when I was drinking, it would just hang on and it would be there all the time. And spiritually, uh, my life is just totally free. Um, the worries that I had don't bother me at all anymore. If they do bother me, I ask the Lord and give it to the Lord and tell him to take it and, uh, and it's gone. People talk about um, 
having a relationship with God and being able to hear God talk, I've actually felt it. It's just unbelievable. Certainly if uh, God had not turned my life around, uh, I would have certainly lost my marriage and uh, my then uh, two-year-old daughter, and we have another daughter since then, so she would have never came along, and uh, I'd be a very uh, lonely person and uh, if I was still alive, um, which I probably wouldn't have been. Here's what I would say to anybody who's where I was. Uh, God still loves you, and uh, through Him, uh, you can get better. Uh, but you have to take the leap of faith. You have to be the one that says, I, this has got to change, and ask God to uh, make those changes in your life. My name is Jared, and I was redeemed by Jesus. I'm proof that God can turn anything around. Amen. I just want to thank Jared. He's one of the members of our church for being willing to come in and share that testimony. And what an awesome reminder that God can turn anything around. And most importantly, God can turn your life around. And maybe that's some of you today. No matter where you are, he can turn everything around. Father, thank you for this beautiful redemption story. And Lord, help us not to miss that this is a beautiful picture of the love story that we have experienced, so many of us, between us and you our Lord, our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Right now, as we just continue an attitude of prayer, maybe you're here today and you, you'd say, you know, I, I, need, I need God to turn some things around in my life. Maybe it's your marriage, something in your family, your finances, your health, whatever the situation is. But you'd say, you know, I, I need to experience a turnaround. And I want to make sure that I do what Ruth did. I'm not going to run from God. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to trust my Boaz, Jesus Christ my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, but I, would you pray for me right now that I would trust Him, that I'd wait on Him to turn something around and redeem something in my life right now. Is there anyone like that? Can you just slip up your hand for prayer all across this auditorium? I need my Redeemer to turn something around. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Father, I just pray for everyone that they would follow the example of Ruth in the story who trusted her Boaz, listened to her Boaz, waited for her Boaz, and allowed your redemptive plan to work its way out in her life. Lord, I know we have people right now that probably feel like they're in chapter one of Ruth, and they want to be in chapter four, and I got to pray that you just give them the strength and the patience and the obedience to wait on their Boaz, Jesus Christ, and that you would turn things around in your time, in your way, in your sovereignty, in their life, knowing you never leave us, you never forsake us, and you never let us down. We continue an attitude of prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ to be your Redeemer, to be your Lord and Savior, your Boaz. And as I said, say that right now, if you can't right now think back to a time, a place, a moment in your life where you invited Jesus into your life, then why not settle that today? Why, why not put it off any longer? And you know who you are if God is speaking to you. you. You know if it's time to invite Jesus into your life. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You don't have to stand up, speak up, come up. Just, I'm going to give you a prayer that you can pray. It's not a magic prayer or magic words that you say, but if they come from your heart of belief and faith, you can invite Jesus into your life today to accept his shed blood as payment for your salvation, your redemption. You can have a new life, a new start, a fresh start. Everything can turn around for you today if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me from your heart? It goes like this. Jesus, come into my life. Be my redeemer. 
forgive me of my sins. I want to know you. Thank you for loving me and redeeming me. Thank you. So we just continue to add it to your prayer right now. Heads bowed, nice closed. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith and you really meant it, and you said yes to Jesus today, I want to pray for you that you would just grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So right now, without hesitation, would you just put up your hand so I can see it, so I can pray for you? Say, yes, I prayed that prayer. God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, young person, God bless you. Another one over here. Thank you. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into my life. I said yes to him today. Several people. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. And their Lord, their Savior, their Rescuer, their Redeemer. Thank you for that time in our life we could all look back to when we made that decision. That we've never regretted. Lord, we pray that we would all grow in our love for you. In the grace and knowledge of you. And that we would pursue you the way you have so lovingly and graciously and lavishly pursued us. May we continue to fall in love every day with our Redeemer, our Boaz, Jesus Christ. Thank you for turning our lives around and for the ones that you will turn around in the days ahead. We pray all this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ in this awesome book of Ruth? Hope you guys enjoyed this book as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. One of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. Um, right now, if you made a decision for Christ, you raise your hand, said that you accepted Christ, please let us know about that on your connection card. Drop in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can continue to pray for you by name. Send you a book in the mail. If you're a first-time guest today, thanks so much for being our guest here at Orchard Church. Uh, we hope we blessed you as much as you blessed us with your presence. Hopefully you filled out that guest connection card. You can drop in the offering bucket when it goes by. We are not interested in your money at all today, first-time guest, but we're definitely interested in getting to know you um, so we'll send you a thank you note a free gift in the mail so let us know that you're here as a guest if you're new to Orchard Church I would love to meet you personally if I haven't already done so I'll be hanging out in the courtyard by the white tent so please come by and introduce yourself right now we're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord in one of the highest forms of worship and that's giving back to the one who's given everything to us our Redeemer our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so we're going to worship through our tithes and our offerings because we want to be a church that gives first saves second learns to live on the rest thank you to so many of you over half of you who faithfully give every week online to support uh, the redemptive purposes to advance the kingdom through Orchard Church and around the world. And so as we do that, we're going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. Let me just say one thing real quick. Men, we had a record number of men signed up last week for the men's retreat that is coming up very soon. Um, it is not too late, but it's going to be soon too late because we do have uh, capacity that we can't go over. So there's a few spots left, so don't delay any longer. Even if you can't pay it a Day, get your name on the list, go by the men's retreat tent and get signed up. It's going to be an epic men's retreat again this year at Orchard Church because we have a saying what happens on the men's retreat stays on the men's retreat. So don't miss that, men. All right. So I love you guys. Check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church.